1: Music
0: to the penultimate episode of Shadows at the Door, the podcast. I'm Mark Nixon, and each week David Alt and I bring you a ghost story that aims to both please and terrify. Before we begin, however, we want to thank our listeners who have bought us a cup of Earl Grey tea on Ko-fi. Your support is helping us achieve the means to produce a second season. So, if you're enjoying the show and want more, we humbly ask that you consider following the link in the show notes. For this episode, we're joined by guest writer Pete Alex Harris. Pete brings us a new ghost story with a classic feel, thus encapsulating everything Shadows at the Door is about. After the production, David Alt and I discuss the story and also discuss the excellent music that you hear in the show each week. We also get strangely angry about a 2003 sci-fi action film. But for now, the story... We join our protagonist as he stands on the threshold of both a stately home and a dark mystery. Enjoy this tale that the writer has named Quicksilver Spirit. So, gather around the fire, pour yourself some tea, and we'll begin.
2: time. Uh, Can I help you? Uh, Dr. Schmidt, I'm James. James Spence. Spence? James? uh... Yes, your secretary at the university arranged it. We spoke on the telephone this morning? I don't have a telephone. Are you sure? I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. I, I spoke with your secretary, Hilda. I hope I haven't got this mixed up. I was supposed to come here and work on organizing your research notes? Oh. Uh, Oh yes, (laughs) whatever am I thinking. Uh, Come in, out of the rain. Uh, Yes, I I remember now. Come, Come in, come in. When I first stepped into that house, rain trickling down my neck, I was already berating myself for a rash decision. I had had nothing to do between completing my graduate studies and beginning work at the laboratories of a well-known pharmaceutical company in Nottingham. But I found out that one of the great innovators of organic chemistry, Dr. Aaron Schmidt, was in need of an assistant to organise some of his old research notes for publication, work he had abandoned on his sudden retirement many years ago. There was the promise of hearing the great man's anecdotes and hearing firsthand what tragedy or personal journey had ended his career. He had had a reputation for being an entertaining and inspiring lecturer once. However, his distracted and confused demeanour dampened my enthusiasm more than the rain. It seemed likely Dr. Schmidt's best lecturing days were far behind him. Ah, that's better. Ah, I, I'm sorry, I didn't remember you were coming today. When one lives alone, one loses track of things. The the mind wanders, loses focus. But I remember now. I, I have a room made up for you. I, I can show you later. But please sit, enjoy your tea. We can begin the work tomorrow. This is my study, as you can see. That shelf there contains most of my published works. Va- vanity, of course, to have them there in the center instead of alphabetically down on the bottom with Teilheimer and Vocal. There certainly are a lot of them. May I? By all means. I referred to this one for my thesis. I hope you pass, nonetheless. (laughs) It must have been long superseded by now. This photograph, is this you? (laughs) Yes, with my wife Beth. Ah, what a beauty she was then, and always right up until I... uh, (sighs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, 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 it's quite all right. Uh, Oh, I see, Uh, you think Oh, no, she left me. It hurt at the time, but I was grateful in a way. For all I know, she's alive and well, and I I wish her every joy. Ah, Uh, that other man in the background is my brother Joseph. Uh, Beth came here as his student, but we fell in love. Joseph was against the marriage at first. (laughs) Look how he scowls there. But he came around before the end. Uh, Still, I I suppose he was right after all. (laughs) Now see how my mind wanders even when there is someone to talk to. (laughs) I'll show you your room now. I got the sense that there was indeed a story waiting to be told, but that old photograph bothered me. Such a mixture of happiness and bitterness, light and darkness captured on paper and preserved, while the people themselves faded away. I wasn't at all sure I wanted to hear how that story ended. Here you are. It's, uh, it's a little spartan, but I haven't had much use for a spare room for years. If you need anything I've forgotten, please ask. It looks fine, really. Good, 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 good. Uh, um. There is one thing. Yes? you must forgive an old man set in his ways but i have such trouble sleeping sometimes especially if my routine is disturbed i'd i'd prefer if you uh, didn't wander around in the night i'm sure we both need our rest before beginning the work tomorrow of course professor it's your house and it was kind of you to offer me a room at all i'll not make a nuisance of myself if i can at all help it uh, thank you and and um, uh, no no never mind there's uh, there's there's nothing else We can talk more tomorrow. Uh, Good night. Good night. I was still a little worried for the old man, but willing to accommodate his eccentricities. An unkind phrase sprang to mind when I pictured him. Mad as a hatter. Maybe it was not completely inappropriate. Hatters used to go a little odd due to prolonged exposure to mercury, and the professor and his brother had worked for years in this very house on the chemistry of heavy metals. There might even be an unhealthy amount of mercury vapor in the air i was breathing now and if i were to stay long enough i might go a little odd myself but i wouldn't be doing that i awoke from an unsettling dream and lay awake in the dark trying to take a hold of it but it slipped away and i don't know if i was remembering fragments of that dream or childhood memories of nighttime terrors I don't know what time it was, but from the light I'd say still hours before dawn. I found that nature had a more pressing call on me than politeness to my host, and I was forced to creep out as quietly as possible to seek the bathroom. On the way back to my room I saw Professor Schmidt on the stairs below, or at least I thought I did. I ducked back into a doorway, guilty that I had disturbed him after all. But he hadn't come to complain. The figure moved aimlessly with a stumbling, jerking gait. Oddly, despite its lack of coordination, it was completely silent. It rounded the turn of the stairs and continued to the floor above. I caught one glimpse of its face in the dim light as it passed, an impression of staring eyes and a mouth opening and closing as though ranting or muttering to itself. Yet still, I heard no footsteps or voice. I couldn't resist taking a step onto the staircase to look up to where the figure had gone. The sound of the old floorboards forced me to retreat rather than make my transgression worse. But before I returned to my room, I spotted a tiny glint of light on the stair. A minute drop of mercury rolling across the dusty wood and disappearing into a crack. Uh, James, is that you? Professor, uh, yes, I'm sorry if I woke you. I, I'm afraid I had to use the bathroom, but uh, I thought I saw you going upstairs just now. Uh, I was hoping to avoid that. I wish you had stayed in your room. I will. I had no intention to pry. Only, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get back downstairs? I didn't go upstairs. It would be Joseph you saw. Your brother? Your brother? I I, thought, well, the way you spoke of him in the past tense. So he's living here with you? He's here, but not living here. He died 13 years ago. Now you see why I asked you to stay in your room after dark. It really is best not to involve yourself with Joseph. He's not himself these days. But did you say Joseph is dead that he's a ghost he's dead but i don't know a a ghost who knows what a ghost is the word is not an explanation of anything not to a scientist but i do see him and it's a terrible sight he's so lonely but a scientist should want to no i know what you're thinking but leave him alone that's what i wanted to avoid more than anything My poor dead brother is not a laboratory specimen, a phenomenon to be studied and experimented on. If only you knew. Well, you can tell me. Honestly, I'll leave well alone if you ask me to, and naturally I won't speak to anyone else about your private business. But the more I know, the less my curiosity will have to work on. Then listen well. As Beth and I grew closer, Joseph resented the time she spent with me instead of assisting him in the laboratory upstairs. It was a very tense situation affecting all of us. It began to affect Beth's health. She had a violent quarrel with Joseph and left me to return to her family. But I made excuses to go and see her secretly and as her health recovered, we decided to marry. My great mistake was not telling Joseph. He would have been angry against the marriage? Yeah, He was angry. He was always angry. After the elopement, I had to tell him Beth was coming here to live as my wife. He didn't argue or shout, but he left my study and returned to his laboratory to work. It was that day he had his accident. Is this the accident that killed him? Eventually. In his distraction, he spilled a mercury compound on his hand. Only a small amount, but enough was absorbed through his skin to seal his fate. Over the next few weeks, it took him. Beth came and helped me nurse him. It was terrible watching him waste away and rave and scream. And even Beth's improving health and vitality, which should have comforted me tormented me. I tell you, I had some dark thoughts. That fate would only allow one person close to me, and to gain another meant losing one. And other suspicions, too. Beth never really liked Joseph. She helped me care for him, but then when it was over, she seemed relieved. We had a savage quarrel about it, and she left. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, I'm sorry to have lived through it, but this is why you must leave Joseph be. Towards the end, he was not himself. The mercury had taken most of his mind, and in the pain and his own anger, there was no way to reach him, and not much left of him that was human. So now, wandering alone, does he know who he is? Does he know he's dead, or is he like an old man, living alone, strange and getting ever stranger in his isolation? Leave him be. Had I seen a ghost? Or does the professor sleepwalk, and in his grief and the failing faculties of old age, suffer a delusion in which his poor dead brother is still with him? I resolved to finish up the work as quickly as possible and put the whole sad story behind me. And these are from my last year of work, not long after. It's not much, and I hardly think it fit for publication myself, but I want to put everything in order. Thanks. I'll take a look. I'm, I'm sure you don't give yourself enough credit. Oh, and um, these notes here? I wasn't sure where they belong. They aren't dated, and I can't quite make out that... No, not that. This is uh, this is not research. I was trying to answer a different question that was troubling me, and I was uh, grieving and not thinking clearly. its It's nonsense. Forget it was there of course and james i forgot to mention i'm going into the hospital this afternoon for tests they tell me and i expect them to ask me to stay overnight will you be all right to continue in my absence yes i'm sure i will and for the most part i was but after the old man left the hospital i noticed that piece of paper that had upset him so much lying on the desk and looked at it again. Numbers of days, weights in pounds, body weights, weights in fractions of grains, dosages, chemical formulae, all containing the HG of mercury. Questions begun and scored out heavily, perhaps questions he didn't dare ask. What quarrel had destroyed a marriage so newly begun? Did he suspect his wife had something to do with Joseph's decline and death? Had Beth poisoned his brother? I stayed too late working and brooding in the study until I realized how tired I was and that it was after midnight. I put aside the notes and decided to turn in. In the light of day, my worst imaginings would evaporate and I could concentrate on the job I was here to do. But... Hello? Who's there? Professor Schmidt, are you back? Oh. At the foot of the stairs, I saw it again. Much closer than before, and yet somehow less real. It wavered and distorted like an optical illusion. There was a bitter, metallic smell or feel to the air. Joseph Schmidt? For a moment, it turned to face me, and there was such a look of desolation and rage in its eyes that I stepped back involuntarily and stumbled. But it turned away as though confused or distracted and began ascending the stairs, its feet making no sound. But there was a sound. It seemed to come from inside my head like a hallucination or a vibration picked up by the amalgam fillings in my teeth. It filled me with terror. I remember now, when I was a boy, I built a shortwave radio from a kit. It didn't work very well, only picking up static or unintelligible crackling voices. Except once. One time, clear through the noise, some words in a language I didn't recognize. And then words every boy who loves adventure stories knows. Mayday! Mayday! I never played with my radio again. I couldn't bear the fear that I, alone in the world, had picked up that distress call, unable to help, unable to answer, and somewhere far away, men cried out in despair, and nobody came to their aid. The sound of the ghost, or whatever was left of Joseph Schmidt, felt like that, and it left me with no less a horror. The impression diminished, however, as the apparition proceeded up the stairs, and curious, I followed, keeping at a distance where I could endure it. I followed it up past my room and to the floor above, and at the end of the top hall it rose step by step up through the entrance to the attic. The windows are small and hadn't been cleaned for years, but I could see the figure as though a silvery-grey light fell on it from elsewhere. As I stood and watched, it moved erratically, pacing, gesticulating angrily. It stopped at a desk or bench, shoulders hunched, arms gripping the edge as though staring furiously at something that lay there, though I could see nothing. It still gave no sign of knowing I was there. But as I crept closer, it startled me by suddenly sweeping an arm across the table as if enraged. Then it looked down at its hand, unbelieving, shaking, and turned to the doorway where I stood. And it screamed. Professor, I'm glad you're back. Good news from your tests, I hope? Uh, No worse news than I could have expected. Which is to say, not very good news, but I am unsurprised by it. Ah, well. And nor should you be. I did not hire you to put my work in order on a whim, James. I have a deadline, and it's not a publisher that imposes it on me. Did you manage to make uh, good progress last night? I did, yes, or at least I hope I did. Uh, There is another thing I was meaning to ask. The attic, that was Joseph's laboratory, yes? Uh, Yes, Uh, one needs a well-ventilated space to work with some of the reagents he used. In all honesty, the attic was always not so much well-ventilated as simply drafty. Why? Why? I wondered if there might be any research material up there. Notes, diagrams, that kind of thing. I wouldn't want to look around without your permission. And then don't. What did you see? I don't know, but it scared me half to death. I thought it was you, before, sleepwalking, but this, there's, there's no rational explanation. So at least you believe me. You know, I am a little relieved that it wasn't just dementia. Although it were better if it were. Do you think if you look in the attic, you'll find your rational explanation there? I can't say that I do. Leave it alone, then. Only, um, the ghost, Joseph, didn't seem to be aware of me. I I wondered if it's an electromagnetic phenomenon, like a tape, uh, more a recording from life than a life after death. That's not much of an explanation. No, granted, but if it is only a recording, then perhaps it acts out the motions of its life. Not conscious, not... not suffering. Yes, it may not be a thing to fear or pity, just a a thing. And this recording of a life that I need not fear, what did it act out? What did you see? The moment of my brother's accident? Reminded it was my selfishness that distracted him, and knowing what followed, you think I needn't fear to see that? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, No, I don't. But you needn't see that. I I would like to take a quick look today, in daylight, if you will allow it. One thing troubles me about what I saw. It doesn't fit. I almost don't want to ask you about it. (sighs) Yet you will. I see that. There's a desk near the door. It didn't look like a laboratory bench. No, that was where Joseph wrote out his notes and correspondence. So it would have no dangerous chemicals stored on or in it? Of course not. All the reagents were stored in locked cabinets at the other end. And that was all removed after his accident? Yes. I couldn't bear to do it myself, nor could Beth. We donated all our supplies to the university. I haven't been there since. I won't again. Very well, take one look and then get back to work. You may have all the time in the world, but I do not. I felt selfish, even cruel, to pursue a mystery at the cost of digging up hurtful memories. However, my subconscious nagged at me. Without an explanation, I could at least pretend to believe. Would I ever forget the ghost's faltering walk, its eyes, the silent but deafening fury and grief in its scream? I hesitated. Traditionally, ghosts are not to be encountered in full daylight, and I had some hours of that left. But I am a man of science. There was no reason to think what I had seen was a traditional ghost but a real phenomenon however inexplicable. If I heard that sound again, my courage would fail me, I knew that much. The attic was dim, with dirty windows, some boarded up. At the far end, there were scraps of wood and tarpaulins, broken test tube stands, unpainted rectangles on the wall where cabinets had stood. An air duct for a fume cupboard still bolted into the brickwork, leading out onto the roof. It moaned and rattled in sympathy with the gusty weather outside. What deadly vapours had that duct carried away to be safely scattered to the wind? I didn't feel any particular horror of it, even so. But at this end was the desk, and a low bookshelf along the wall beside it. I had seen this furniture in the black-and-white photograph in the professor's study. Joseph had been leaning against this bookshelf, frowning. I shook myself. The desktop was empty and covered thickly in dust. The drawers were unlocked and empty also. I stood at the desk, reached out slowly, leaned down to grip the edge of it. If Joseph had been standing here, shaking with rage, staring down, what would he have seen? There was no way to know, no record of what had lain there, what he had swept aside in his rage, not even heeding the death that lay inches away. Swept aside. Under the bookcase, which stood on short legs, was a narrow gap, perhaps an inch and a half above the floor. The dust was thick, perhaps undisturbed since that very day. There seemed to be something under there, A flat rectangle, perhaps a notebook. I poked at it and teased it out. A photograph, like the one downstairs. Beth and Aaron smiling, Joseph frowning, but trimmed narrower. Composed so that Beth was in the centre, smiling under the dust. Swept out of reach, like the photograph itself. There was something else. I reached farther, using my pen to snag something hard and glinting. A small object rolled back against the wall, and fish it out into the light. It was a bottle, unlabeled of the kind used to dispense eyedrops. The cap was on loosely, but still held a dropper with a perished rubber bulb. Whatever had been in it thirteen years ago was long evaporated, but still I did not dare touch it with my hands. Well, did you find your answers? No, don't tell me. Let us leave it alone at last. You have done well with these, I think. It is hard to look back on a life's work and truly tell what mattered and what didn't. It's so much worse when others tell you your work has achieved some measure of greatness, but you cannot quite see it yourself. (sighs) You look very pale. What is it? I am so sorry. Don't feel you have to console me. Believe me, as you get older, whether you have achieved anything great or not means less and less. It's not that. What is this? It was on the floor, rolled away from the desk, out of sight. No, don't touch it. It may still be dangerous. Still? You may not want to believe what I must tell you, but you are not to blame for your brother's death, and nor was Beth. Why would I not want to believe that? And and how could you know? What I saw, or at least what I think I saw the ghost do, was knock these things off the desk. Beth, but this bottle must have held the poison that spilled on Joseph's hand. In a sense, it was an accident. In a sense, your quarrel with him did provoke the anger that made him spill it. But any court in the land would call it what it really was attempted murder no I'm sorry as I said no no it doesn't make any sense you said that Beth had become ill before she left yes but not like that what are you saying I'm saying Joseph was angry I don't understand how he felt but I think he was taking out his resentment over her choice asserting the power he'd felt he'd lost over his student I don't know you don't know how can you say that but when beth left she began to recover and kept on recovering even after she returned because the one who'd been poisoning her was bedridden and dying i I can't believe he was trying to kill her surely had he wanted to he could have easily surely he would have eventually more you what use is this to me I had no answer for him. We talked for hours, well, he talked, reminiscing, telling me the same things he'd spoken of before and more. It must have been painful. Some events that had carried a weight of doubt and guilt were unburdened, but other happier memories must have been cast in a more sinister light. I hope overall that talking it out helped him put some of his own inner ghosts to rest. As we talked, it grew dark outside, and the frightful weather that had plagued my visit returned. Good night, Professor. And good night to you. Oh, what a hard day it has been. But tomorrow may be a little easier. And the next day, and however many days remain to me. Many, I hope. Tomorrow we can... My God, Joseph! What? Here he comes again. If only I could ask him why. Uh, tell him. Professor, wait. Joseph, I know. I know what you did. If only I could ask you why, but I can tell you one Be thing. careful. Keep your distance from it. God, see its eyes. Joseph, I forgive you. I know what you did, and I'm sorry you were gone before I could say this, but I forgive you. Look out. Don't let it touch you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect you to believe any of this. My own belief had been that whatever the ghost of Joseph Schmidt was, it was only a natural phenomenon, a mindless repetition of events past. No longer suffering, no longer hating. But in those last moments of its brother's life, I saw it fix its gaze on him and claw at him with intent and pure malice. I never went back there. After I had spoken to the police, I also spoke to the Environmental Health Department. The old house was contaminated with so much mercury that it was condemned immediately and demolished the following year. I think that's for the best.
0: Quicksilver Spirit by Pete Alex Harris. I'm Mark Nixon, and as always, I am joined by the original alt, David Alt.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. Pleasure to be here, even surviving falls downstairs. Yes,
0: but you did fall down the stairs beautifully, David, it must be said.
2: Ah, thank you very much, thank you.
0: As good a death as anyone could hope for.
2: (laughs) And I have died a lot of times in the course of these audio dramas, and indeed, in the course of my acting life. that's not just on stage.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's recap where you've been. I mean, this is, of course, our penultimate episode, so you've been strangled into unconsciousness, you've been dragged Mm -hmm. to hell. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. I've been run over by a train.
0: You have. You've been mauled by an Egyptian god monster thing.
2: Yeah, I've been spirited away by a game with crows.
0: And you've been eaten alive by a Lovecraftian a Lovecraftian monster
2: yes. in the north of England. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, you've um, you've regaled us with song.
2: <laughs> Dem- demonic song, infernal song.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no real negative consequences of that in, in any MR James story. People just get like, people just get scared. Mm. Which is randomly, good, because, course, so, yeah. yeah. Well, because they have to survive and then tell the story to the narrator, who's like, "I had a friend who was once scared shitless by a bedsheet." <laughs> 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 Yeah, and now, of course, you've fallen down the stairs. Who knows, David, what will happen to you in our final
2: episode next who week? Who knows? Exactly. Yes. It's it's, yes. A, it's a marvel. Um, but there's... Uh, uh, Quicksilver Spirit there was a, a very atmospheric... Story, I think you would you would agree, and <clears throat> it differs from Winter Wings in that it doesn't have quite as much in the way of sound effects, but a lot of the atmosphere comes from Nico Bertese's music.
0: It definitely does, yeah. So Pete, where so Pete, uh, let's begin by just describing Pete. Like a phenomenal writer. I've worked with him. I've published his work on ShadowsOfTheDog dot com, which you can actually go there right now and and read. I believe half a dozen stories from him. Uh, for free, which I've got on there. And then, of course, we worked together when he produced uh, the, the first story in, in Shadows of the The anthology under S.H.I.E.L.D. Croft, which is an absolutely amazing story. Pete was very keen to be part of the podcast. We enjoy working together. And I said, I want a really traditional ghost story because, you know, I've embarked on this enterprise with David All of ghost story podcasts, of which only half the stories have an actual ghost in them. <laughs> so, and I remember in episode two, we say, look, ghost stories don't have to have ghosts in them. Get over mm. yourself. you know? <laughs> it's, it's the atmosphere. But yeah, so Pete has created this, you know, really meat, like really just like good, meaty, traditional ghost story. Mm. And then to up it up a notch, yes, so we went... I think gothic is the word. I think you might agree with that, David. Of
2: the, I, I think, yes, absolutely. Because it has the, the storm, it has the bad weather, it has a ghost, it has science gone wrong, a love triangle, all of these kinds of things. Very, very classic ghost story tropes, if Everything you like. you could want.
0: You know, when anyone ever, whenever anyone says science that like you've done, all I can think of is the Thomas Dolby <laughs> song.
2: It's, oh, uh, sorry, I, I, I was just getting getting ready to say it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> well,
0: that's it. That's it. Because you know, I mean, if we're going to go gothic, we're going to have to talk about Mary Shelley, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the temptation was to put that in there at some point, especially <laughs> when the uh, the narrator was in the attic, looking finding all of like the mercury and the. Abandoned scientific equipment. Um, yeah. And then there's uh, thunder. And you did really want, just want to go that little step further. <laughs> <laughs> it's alive! I mean, at what point, when I'm like diving into my bag of tropes, if you get to the bottom of the bag, you find the cliché. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you can dance a dance with trope until it becomes a cliché. Um, yes. I figure if people are on this episode, episode eight of the podcast, they are enjoying what we have to offer. All right, let's give you a real classic ghost story, like a hammer horror ghost story.
2: Mm. Yes. Yes, definitely. And yes,
0: as you say, I mean, you know, I've worked extensively with Nico on this podcast now and he's just absolutely terrific and um, fun fact, actually, uh, Nico... I made Nico work a lot harder on this episode than usual because in Pete's script, the ghost is accompanied by the sound of static, almost as if um, it was a glitch. In fact, there's a a horror anthology film called VHS, and I can't remember if it's VHS 1 or 2, and I would definitely recommend that people watch these films. They they don't get the praise they deserve. But there's Hmm. one, it's like a found footage short film in this film where there's these, these teens in the woods, and they're being haunted by this glitch thing and they just mm. see this glitch and because it's filmed on a really like naff camera it, it looks really authentic and then as it comes towards and the glitch is getting worse it's interfering with the camera and and I it rem- Pete's script reminded me of that and I couldn't do it justice I, I toyed with you know engineering some sound effects and and I put it, and then I eventually came up with something I was happy with, and I put it in. And I thought, this is not doing Pete's script justice. So I said to Pete, "I'm going to do away with the sound effects, and we're going to have the music mm. be the be the approach of the ghost. After all, the ghost in the story is described as silent. So that almost mm. made a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and Nico is uh, does an absolutely amazing job. In fact, I think Nico is keen to um, actually release the soundtracks to to these, these episodes separately. Uh, for people to listen to um, on their own, which uh, I will certainly be doing as I write more. I like to mm. have spooky music when I write too, and it's really uh, it's really fun working with Nico actually because he'll he'll say right, what, send me some music that is what you think of when you think of this episode. So it's not like I'm going to send you the Jaws theme tune and I want you to copy that, but for copyright mm. reasons, I want you to go dun dun <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> But I will send him stuff, and I'll go, look, here's some... I mean, initially, when we started working together, I said, look, here's some soundtracks that I listen to when I write. So sometimes, certainly when we were doing Leave a Light On for me, this stuff really comes to mind. But now, it, it became a point where I would send him tracks from certain things. So so strap in, guys, because we're going to start recommending some soundtracks to, uh, to listen mm. to. The soundtracks that have influenced Nico and I's, uh, I said Nico and I's work because I'm not composing it, but my direction for Nico and, and what Nico's doing is um, the soundtrack. So again, uh, David, you mentioned films where, you know, the, the soundtrack can completely transform it. The Social Network, don't know if you've seen it, the film about I'm Facebook. i no. Mm-hmm. Amazing film. Would it be as good without its fantastic soundtrack, without Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross? I don't know. But that's an amazing mm. soundtrack. It's actually quite atmospheric and very spooky and that influences the, the main theme for Shadows of the Door, the static that you hear as it as it kinda of comes in. Um, mm. the whole ethos of the music for Shadows of the Door is so it's meant to be old meets new. So you've got some very traditional sweeping notes, but then you've got like this static crackle, you know, this like really a natural use of violins that Nico does very well. That's where it's all meant to come from. But yes, yeah, certainly the the soundtrack to films such as the the social network there is a terrific album from a a band called the Future Kings of England, which is like a folk horror kind of album. And it actually the album's called "Who Is This Who Is Coming." It actually tells the it tells the entire story of M.R. James as oh, whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. Yeah. Each track is, is named, is, is, you listen to it in order, and it tells the whole story. Like, there's no one narrating it, but you hear it in the music, and that sounds really naff and pretentious, but it's not. Uh, it's really, <laughs> it's really uh, fantastic. Uh, of course, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross also did the soundtrack to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Absolutely fantastic soundtrack. It follows an amazing film. One of my favourite horror films of all time has this fantastic Electronic synth score, which influences the alternative theme that you hear at the end of every episode of Shadows at the Door, the podcast as well. And of course, Mary Gold's work on Doctor Who, and particularly enjoy the soundtrack to the newest season of Doctor Who
2: ah, by Sagan Akinola.
0: Yes, I have never learned to pronounce his name, so I rudely skipped over it.
2: <laughs> yes, uh,
0: the Haunting of Hill House, which we've discussed before, that ha- oh, um, yes. that has an amazing soundtrack. And um, in mm-hmm. fact, there's there's one track I believe it's called. Go There Tomorrow. Uh, I can't hear it without, like, welling up. It's just such an amazing track. Aww. (laughs) Get Out really heavily influenced... That soundtrack that heavily influenced the the Devil and Tom Walker episode. Mm. And... As Nico and I are both gamers, there are some gaming soundtracks that are fantastic. My favorite game, if I haven't mentioned it before, I don't think I have, is Alan Wake, which is the story oh, yes. of, a, mm-hmm, yes, of a writer whose work comes to life and, and attacks him. A uh, fantastic uh, orchestral score, which we have listened to a bit. The, the Last of Us soundtrack, the original Red Dead Redemption soundtrack, and the soundtrack to The Last of Us. All amazing pieces of work that you can enjoy... Wherever you listen to music, if you listen legally, um, (laughs) listen to these... I'm making sure people do the right thing. Support all artists of every ilk. Mm, Absolutely, yes. You can listen to these soundtracks on their own Mm. for computer games, and you think, well, I have to be playing the game to appreciate it. No, you don't. These sound fantastic on their own. So Alan Wake, Mm. The Last of Us, the original Red Dead Redemption... Yeah, just do listen to these because they they are fantastic and they have influenced uh, the direction of the music for season one of Shadows of the Dollar podcast and I would just heavily recommend it, particularly that Future Kings of of the Future Kings of England album. In fact, I'm quite happy to give them a plug because many years ago, and by many I mean about five, (laughs) um, (laughs) I was toying with the idea of audio drama for Shadows at the Door, and I literally went on Twitter, said, does anyone want to record these stories because I hate my own voice? Apparently, I learned to like it because, like, I will now do a podcast, but Daniel Foytek actually, before he was doing the Wicked Library in the list, though this is way back when, five years, <laughs> Daniel Ooh. recorded a couple stories from Shadowsatthedoor.com, and I put a very early version of leave a light on for me on on soundcloud and the future kings of england allowed me to use tracks from this album to play in the background uh, as that story influences my story so it doesn't exist anymore because i took it down years ago it it, things have since evolved but it was very nice of them to just let some writer who at the time was even less well known than i am now now, and mm. tracks from this wonderful album to play behind it and i often listen to that album and follows i'm writing it's a big source of inspiration for me oh mm. and finally the twin peaks soundtrack that um, Ah
2: yes it
0: doesn't necessarily yes. influence us that much but christ is it a good soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> yes what about yourself david do you have any particular scores that you find inspiring or spooky and, and listen to
2: I loved uh, the Donnie Darko soundtrack. Oh yeah. That, that was a, a fantastic a fantastic film. But also uh, the music for the the soundtrack was just so on point. I think it 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 was it was curious, it, it was just slightly off, and that led lent itself wonderfully to the the really off feeling of of the film itself.
0: Mm. Um you know, it's funny because when, when Donnie Darker came out, I was in school. I think I was about 14, 15. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the right age for that kind of... <laughs> and it was this... You know, original thought-provoking <laughs> film that came out, so a lot of mid-teens can be like, whoa, this film's so deep, man. And yeah, and everyone yes, yes. was just going on about it. And so much so that I decided I hated Donnie Darko because I was just getting so sick of all these pretentious people talking about it as <laughs> if it was the first film. And I'm like, oh my God, Wormholes. I'm like, I watched Farscape at that age. I know all about Wormholes, you know. So <laughs> I I, or at least the idea of it. So I have not seen Donnie Darko since I
2: was... 14, fourteen, fifteen. Right, I, I would. It, it's, it's, it, and and I also find it really good when films get the science right as well, because mm. uh, it's. Uh, I'll come back to my to my picks in a bit, but so for example, I, you get films like Interstellar. Oh, brilliant! Man. Brilliant film, and scientifically pretty good. Very sound. Uh, that's what it would be like on a, on a planet which has such tidal gravity. You would get massive tidal waves. You would get that sort of time lag.
0: David, just to clarify, between... you're, you're talking about the time dilation is correct, not that love is more powerful than time, right?
2: Yes, that is okay. correct. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a romantic, to... <laughs> David, but I don't think you can
0: make love, you know... A
2: force. Excuse me? A force.
0: Yes, you can't make love a force. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure there's a protest, a, a witty protest sign somewhere that you know <laughs> proves me wrong. But you know, tangible—that right was the word I was looking for. Yes, you can't tangible. make love tangible. <laughs>
2: uh, but Interstellar, brilliant film, and for me, made all the better for the fact that the science was was on point. Yes, um, I remember the core came out when I was at university, and a group of us um, that were studying science. Uh, went to see another film, and the core was trailered, and we just watched even the trailer, and and we burst out laughing because we the the science behind it was ridiculous, and it was a crap film as well. But it was just one of those one of those things where, and I hope I'm not coming across as an insufferable smug bastard here, but it was just the the. They they'd said, Oh how, how are we how are we gonna do this? Uh, let's stop the core of the earth and have to restart it with bombs. And, and you know, it's just... I
0: haven't seen the tr- this film. I haven't even heard of it. And I haven't, like... But I can imagine the trailer now. Dave was in the cinema. In a world where the Earth isn't working right, turn it on and off again <laughs> to save the world. <laughs> it was... <laughs> There's a reason I don't do that voice a
2: lot. <laughs> but it, it was it was a terrible film. And it was... It was made laughable because they had just compl- they had not consulted anyone with any kind of uh knowledge of science not even pseudoscience no well probably but um, <laughs> when science when science doesn't have to be this thing that is too difficult, too remote for people to understand it's not science is the world around us it is the the very the very lifeblood of the world you know it's all about asking questions it's all about having imagine and it's all about having an imagination to ask the questions and then want to get the answers so when when people put science into their films it doesn't have to be like the open university 70s jackets kipper ties and all of that (laughs) it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be preachy from a scientific point of view it's writers just haven't been lazy
0: interstellar proves that what you're saying is true though that it it has to be that it can be entertaining and correct david why while i was saying that i've just googled the call i have not heard of this film but i'm just on imdb right now it's like The only way to save the earth from catastrophe is to drill down to the core and set it spinning again, starring Hilary Swank. Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) Academy Award winner Hilary Swank's in this, Richard Jenkins, Aaron Eckhart, he did do some crap in his time. Uh... (laughs) Oh my God. So, yeah. It, and we need to do a, a recording of us getting drunk and watching the call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. Um, I'm, <laughs> and we can do the drunk ghost stories. We'll do drunk film reviews as well.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my God. David, will it anger you to know that this uh, film had a budget of sixty
2: million dollars at the time it came out? As well, what when when, it, when year? What year was it released? Two thousand three. Two thousand and
0: three. Yeah, it was. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! I could have fun on this page. Um, apparently, um, there's a lot of mistakes in it as well. Uh, wow! Really? I can't believe Hillary Swank's in this. Like, like, there's apparently there's a general who's got the wrong rank on him.
2: <laughs> so yeah, there you go lazy writing and and that then when it goes to lazy screenplay lazy continuity people have just thought okay well slap some slap something on for the the shoulder the <laughs> thing it, and it yeah it's it's frustrating because to me it 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 takes away from the film if someone knows a lot about i don't know if you if you knew a lot about mr james and someone decided to cast him as a as, as someone i don't know a bodybuilder who on the side does <laughs> writing. You know. You I do just... a story about a friend who was scared by a bed
1: sheep.
0: He's <laughs> just <laughs> terrifying. David, I'm really sorry. I know you're being intellectual and you're being uh, you're being very professional, but I'm still looking at the call. It was written <laughs> it was written by not one but two people and where do you find out what some of these guys wrote? So Cooper Lane, one of the writers, he wrote the remake of The Fog, which everyone hates, and he wrote Heads oh, if you remember that film. Right. Our other writer, John Rogers, he has written a lot of TV, um, but he wrote Catwoman with Halle
2: Berry. Oh, the, the world-acclaimed film... Catwoman.
0: (laughs) There's a YouTube channel I follow. um, Brown Table Discussions, I think they're called, and they're they're currently trying to get Catwoman like back in cinemas. (laughs) Okay. Wow, what a film! I. Well, guys, we often like to give you little recommendations. Um, David, would would our listeners be able to enjoy the call? Uh, drunk or in any <laughs> shape or form. Uh, th-
2: I suppose it's your sort of fairly standard uh, thriller from the time where bad thing happens, load of people um, face incredible odds and uh, get and make things right again. So from the, the point of view of a formulaic thriller. If you like those, by all means, watch (laughs) a different one. Um, But this summer, bad things happen. A ragtag group
0: led by Hilary Swank. I'm so sorry. I'm just having a lot of fun with this film. Um, Right, screw shadows of the door. We're gonna do bad film podcasts. So we're gonna do. We're gonna watch The Room.
2: Another thing about music, I mean, music is, is one of those things that can really make or break a, a film or, a, a, or any production, really. Uh, and, and some of the best films have the most amazing film scores to, to just augment what is going on in the action itself. Uh, but if we s- sort of scale it back to just the very basics of music, there is an interval In music which was the devil's interval because it was it was meant to be so horrible that it that it would conjure the devil and it's it's an augmented fourth or a diminished fifth so (laughs) from c to f sharp for instance um and when you hear it it does clash because it's not it's not a natural interval to hear but uh it was used in west side story leonard bernstein uh used it extensively in west side story and it, and it gives that sort of jarring feeling of you know something bad is going to happen and so there's there's actually a precedent for music to portend bad things just from just from two notes but that's that the devil's interval
0: Ah, I did uh, not know that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's all those years of acting school, yeah. isn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like there's the, the devil tends to, tends to get ascribed a lot of things that don't sound or don't look right. Um, one of the things I, I talk about on the ghost walks that I do is the devil's side of a church or of a cathedral. Yes. Um, and uh, have I talked about this before, by the way?
0: No, but I'm saying yes, because I've attended one of your walks. So That's true. Okay. Um, yeah
2: the devil side of a, of a cathedral so um when a church is built on on the cross shape then you will have the main door in the west so that you are looking towards the east where the sun rises obvious imagery there uh, the south transept and the north transept are the arms of the cross and because the sun goes from the east through the south round to the west, it means the north never sees the light of the sun. So that is why it's thought of as the devil's side. But ah. also because the font usually is placed in the north transept uh, so that any demons or devils inside the baby, the child will be forced to flee upon baptism. And out they go through a special door in the north. Transept, which is called the devil's door, onto the devil's side. And mm. the poor, the unconfessed, the unbaptised, those are the ones that get buried on the north side, not in the consecrated wonderful ground of the east or the south.
0: It's a bit of shit, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the devil gets all of the, uh, all of the rotten ends of the stick, really.
0: Uh, except, of course, in his production of episode two of Shadows of the Door, the podcast, in which he was treated rather marvelously by David Holt. Uh, well, absolutely. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the work of, of Mary Shelley and and this idea that science is something to be feared, something that goes against God. Uh, of course, having a degree in science myself, I, I will grumble at that because there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of nonsense talked about what science can and can't do and and how it's totally incompatible with any kind of um, religion or, or, or free thought, and I think that's absolutely rubbish, really. I
0: think there is a school of thought about that because some people think, you know, science has answered a lot, but there there is something science can't answer, and then yeah, the absolutely. argument of many educated religious people will be, well, that's where religion comes in. It can fill in the gaps, but then some people like Richard Dawkins or Neil deGrasse Tyson, they would say, no, religion doesn't get to answer the questions of what we don't have the answers to. We just don't know those answers yet. Indeed if yep. we ever will know them. The
2: the idea of the God of the gaps where the gaps are That's increasingly it. shrinking and shrinking is is just putting words, putting an idea on something that we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But then there is there are people Like Richard Dawkins, and Richard, if you're listening, um, don't take this as a personal criticism, but it's a kind of personal criticism. There are some people that turn science into a religion in and of itself. One of the things that I don't like about The Infinite Monkey Cage, for instance, uh, which is a podcast with Brian Cox and Robin Ince, is that they poo-poo religion, and they, they see religion, any whiff of religion as superstition and completely not needed. Mm. And there they've turned science into a religion because they've said science explains all, will explain all, um, and if you don't agree with it, then you're going to um, atheist hell, uh, essentially. I wonder what is atheist hell? Probably a church service. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, you know, David, I'm, I'm quite guilty of this religion equal superstition thing because um, a bit of a Nixon trope, as it were, is I've used a priest a few times in my stories because I see a priest as like a figure in the community who is this link to mm. old mm. secrets or ghosts. And, and I'll be honest, it is almost a thought that I, I now that I think about it, mm. that I must have.
2: It, it's, it, it's a common thought. And it's also a common thought that religion and science are incompatible. But did you know, for instance, that the Vatican has its own astronomer?
0: I did know that because I listened to Star Talk and the (laughs) Undergrass Tysons podcast. (laughs)
2: Um, I've interviewed the Vatican's astronomer for the Jodcast back when I was doing that about a decade ago. Um, But yeah, I, I interviewed him. For, for, for the podcast. He's a, a very oh, well-read, very intellectual person. Um, and he said himself that there is no... It, it's not that science and religion are incompatible. It's that people set it up, set up these straw men and attack each other's straw men and, and just create a huge distraction where, in fact, science and religion are both asking questions... And the scientific method itself is to propose a theory, you get data, you refine the theory. That is the scientific method. Uh, Science is not seeking to Mm -hmm. answer everything. It is seeking to create a model of the world and the universe which more and more closely mirrors our own.
0: You know, there's a, a quote, David, that backs we can tell you what you're saying. And again, it's from the Old Tyson. Um, and it's the the universe does not owe you an explanation. Yeah. And I really I really like that. Because yeah. it, it epitomizes what you're saying. All,
2: all we can seek to do is, is try and uh, yes, try and explain, but we're we are all the time just building a model that resembles our world. Hmm. Just with everything, if you do your research, uh then you can make a really in-depth characterful uh bit of writing if you don't and you're just lazy and you think okay well i want something to happen let's call it this um Mm -hmm. then it shows in the work so that's what i like about this story because
0: pete you know pete isn't a scientist are you Pete? I don't think you are. <laughs> but Pete isn't a scientist, and he doesn't pretend to be. Like he's got the right amount of knowledge in this to back it up. None of our characters, you know, start to have like they start to go too far into it, and he uses it well within this context. Uh, so hopefully, people will not compare us to the core <laughs> of uh, two thousand three. <laughs> but I will tell you what, Pete does know. He does know a good story, and he. Um, Um, For for the writers who are listening, Pete has this wonderful exercise that I recommend to a few people and certainly another writer I know, uh, Kate Massa, has has tried it as well. People forgive me, but I I think last year he said he's going to come up with a hundred story ideas and I think he's got a a book and he's just like once a day he'll come up with a story idea, write it down, and then his theory is a lot of them would be bad, but from all these different ideas he'll probably get ten of them that'll be really good. And the last I spoke to him about this, we met when we went to the Dublin Ghost Story Festival this year, uh, which was organised, Swan River Press, which was amazing. And I think he was saying that he managed to get sick so far that he really liked it out of it. But Pete, I've never read two stories by Pete that is the same. Mm. And as a writer myself, who has a bag of tricks that I, I enjoy... And I do move away from that bag with each story, but i I really respect that in him, and I think it's a terrific exercise that I'm actually going to try myself next year so writers, if you're listening, it seems to be a good method mm-hmm. good um experiment shall we say uh,
2: a game that I uh played when I was doing storytelling um just to get the sort of storytelling muscles working for because there there would be times where I would have to improvise a story on the spot, and to do that is uh it, it can be difficult. So uh, one game that we played was called Unconnections. And so this, is, this might be one for writers as well. So uh, you'd start off with a word, let's say uh, chair. And then the next person would have to think of a word that is completely unconnected with the word chair. So Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh-huh. Come up with a word that is completely unconnected with the word chair.
0: What, like another noun or any
2: other word? Uh, preferably another noun, yes. Okay, cream. Cream, that works. So uh, it, I, it would then be for me to come up with a word that is completely unconnected with cream. Uh, and I will uh, go with raven. Hmm. And so on and so forth. And you build up a nice little list of words that aren't connected with each other. Then you go round and you try and find a connection between pairs of words.
0: Ah! So, for example,
2: chair and cream, you might come up with the idea of someone sitting on a chair eating a bowl of cream.
0: Or, and I'm so sorry if this is hackneyed at this point, in a world where ravens are dangerously (laughs) (laughs) under-moisturised... One man <laughs> will moisturize ravens with cream.
1: <laughs>
0: Coming this summer, Moist, a horror film starring David Alt.
1: I can't do this voice.
0: I've got it a Batman.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> or it could be um, <clears throat> the film, that film would be called Not Dove.
0: Oh, uh? Uh, uh? this is why you get the big books, saved. <laughs> or black dove or something anyway oh god I've shredded my throat yep you will do that
2: But, of course, when you go back to Victorian times, 18th, 19th century, the idea of science as as the bogeyman uh, was, uh, was becoming quite prevalent. Uh, of course, the church famously against Darwin's origin of the species. Uh, and you get such writers as Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein uh, and uh, a variety of other stories. So science has been the bogeyman as well as... Um, as, as well as the informer of the worlds that writers create. And not even science,
0: lightning. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. just, people use that for ever since, you know, I mean, then again, Mary Shea, you can't even say it's, it's a, a gothic horror, but you can't say it's, just, it's the birth of sci-fi, which it, Kind of was, but oh, like, it is, yes. kind of was. Well, there's someone has written a, a master's on this or, or even a PhD, who's very angry with me right now <laughs> for saying yeah, cannabis. It kind of but um, it's such an amazing exploration of many themes that book. But and, and but because of that, you know, people think lightning can do anything. There's like there's an old Friday the Thirteenth film where someone's digging up Jason's dead body, it gets struck by lightning, and then he's alive again. And I'm like, mm, Jesus Christ. Mm, <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's not even science. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's it has become a trope in itself, or indeed a cliché, mm. because it is so well known.
0: But yes, I'm, I would um, suggest that you do check out more of Pete Alex Harris's work. Perhaps if we do get into the season, you might see some of these writers return as well. But yeah, but uh, again, thank you for joining us for this uh, penultimate episode of Shadows at the Door, the podcast, and for joining a discussion that... I mean, David and I have almost given up on on briefing each other on what we're going to discuss I, at this I, I, point. I had, a whole list of things I
2: had a whole list of things here that I was going to mention, but yeah, well.
0: Yeah. Do you want to mention any of them now, David? Uh, no. No, it's fine. We've made you suffer enough, but um, thank you and thanks again. We'll see you next week for our final episode uh, of Shadows
2: at the Door, the podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you very much from me as well. We'll see you very soon. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by Pete Alex Harris. Performances by David Alt. Music by Nico Vatesi. Editing by Mark Nixon. Copyright held by Shadows at the Door Publishing. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you very soon.